It's been good to be with God's people, and I hope that you are glad to be here as well today. We're starting a new series today, the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. So we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7, Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7, and I'm really excited about this series It's always fun to start a new study with you, and I told a couple of friends, I feel like when I introduce a new series, the week or so leading up to it, I feel like I'm, if you've ever watched one of those detective shows where they have like a crazy guy in the the basement that's got like pictures and clippings and he's pulling strings everywhere, I kind of feel a little bit that way because there's so much going on, especially in a book like Proverbs and wisdom literature and what's going on and what's the form and what's the structure and who's the author. And I feel like I'm trying to kind of capture all this and distill it down into something reasonable that we can do here this morning. So I'm excited about this book. And I think, and I am I'm just thrilled to be able to share it with you. Uh, David is going to be preaching a couple of messages coming up uh, pretty soon in Proverbs as well. And I'm just thrilled to be able to do this with you. You may have noticed, as I have, over the last, I'll say, 15 years or so, that there's really been a proliferation of sort of how-to genre in Christianity. Has anybody else noticed that? How-to sermons, how to do this, how to do that, how-to books. And I think it's really become very popular because it's easier than slowing down and learning how to think about something. We do this with all sorts of things, right? We've got an uh, election season is upon us again. And I think many of us, rather than sitting down and learning the candidates and reading their history and learning the platforms, we just want to find somebody that we trust and say, can you just tell me which lever to pull? Can you just tell me which circle and, and I'll do that? Because it's hard, isn't it? And I recognize there may be actually some wisdom in that because all of us don't have time to learn everything. Can somebody just give me what I need to do? We try that with kids sometimes. Can somebody just give me the instruction manual? Isn't, isn't there a book I can read that'll just kind of tell me what to do? Here's four steps to have awesome kids. It's like, well, it may not work out that way. As my, my mom used to say, always write your parenting book after the first one. Because like, after that, things are changing. We really want life hacks, I think. And what we come to in the Bible, though, is not a series of life hacks. The Bible is not a series of how-tos. The Bible offers something completely different. I think what people are really longing for, though they may not know the word to use, I think what they're really longing for is biblical wisdom. This is an absolutely loaded term, and we'll unpack that as we move along through our study. I would encourage you to start reading Proverbs. It's a very easy book to track, actually, and I think some of us have been doing this off and on for years and years. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. There's never more than 31 days in a month, so just pick a proverb a day, read through it, and you will be shocked at what you find in the book of Proverbs if you've never done that before. What is a proverb? We think of proverbs as these pithy little statements, and we may be surprised actually to recognize how often we communicate with proverbial types of statements. I'm going to do a little experiment here, so help me out. I want you to complete these sayings for me, all right? A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Don't cry over. You all know these, don't you? Don't count your chickens. Don't compare apples and. Although they're both fruit. That one's always thrown me a little bit. 
The pen is mightier than what? Birds of a feather? Two wrongs don't. And one of you wants to finish it, but two rights make an airplane. That is true. I know. I thought you'd know that. Southerners are really good at proverbial statements. My uh, grandmother, she had a favorite one. She always used to say in her classic old Mobile, Alabama, Southern drawl, a dog that'll bring a bone is a dog that will carry a bone. It's actually profound. Her point was somebody that will bring you information about somebody else, be sure they're taking something with them to share with somebody else. It's brilliant, isn't it? These little pithy statements. Proverbs is actually chocked full of these. Now, the entire book doesn't read like that, especially in the first nine chapters, but chapters 10 through 31, they really do read that way. Examples in these couplet forms. I'll just give you a couple here. Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. These little proverbial, pithy statements. Just a reminder, this book, book of Proverbs, it's a, part of a collection. It's obviously part of the Bible, part of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. It's also part of what is called the wisdom literature or the writings it's sometimes referred to. So the Hebrew Bible breaks into three big sections. The law, which is the first five books of the Bible, also called the Pentateuch or the Torah. The law, the prophets, and then the writings. And the writings really comprise a fair amount of the biblical literature. So let's talk about this idea of wisdom, give you a preliminary definition of wisdom. Defining wisdom is actually not an easy thing to do. Bruce Waltke, one of the really premier scholars on wisdom literature, he was asked to define wisdom, and he wouldn't do it, and he just started talking about categories of wisdom. This word is absolutely loaded. Let me give you the big picture idea, and I'll give you my working definition of wisdom. Wisdom is this, it's the art of living well, good, and godly, all right? Each of those three are very important, and actually the word art is very important as well. Here's the three categories that we see with wisdom. The art of living well, good, and godly. It's practical, living well. It's ethical, living good, making the right decisions, And it's theological. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All three of these. Now let's jump into our study this morning, and we'll jump right into Proverbs chapter 1. And then we're going to jump in, and then we're going to jump right back out. And I want to tell you a little bit about Solomon, because he's the author of many, many of these Proverbs. Let me read chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction." Let's talk for a moment about Solomon, because I do think many of these come from the pen of Solomon. If you'd like, you can jump over to 1 Kings 3. I don't have all of these cross-references on the screen for you. But if you jump over to 1 Kings 3, I want to 
catch us up to where we are in the life of Solomon. You may remember that David was the good king of Israel, greatest king Israel ever had. And there's quite a bit of turmoil. Jeff brought up the succession of power that we're seeing take, take place and this transfer of power. And there was actually quite a bit of turmoil in exactly who was going to be the king. And you can read about that in, uh, in the scriptures, in 1 Kings, and then also in the books of uh, 2 Samuel um, as well. Solomon emerges out of that. He's going to be the king. And this is important because Solomon has been watching his father David for years and years and years. And if you know anything about the life of David, while he was a great king and he was said to be a man after God's own heart, it was a little bit of a dumpster fire at points in David's life. He had his sons trying to kill him. He had multiple wives. He had, it was just a mess, a mess at different points. And so Solomon had grown up watching David rule and he he is regarded as a good king and he's the faithful king to the Lord. But he also saw that, you know what? This job is kind of complicated I think many of us have been, at some point, you've been in an organization, and you had this thought, if I was running this place, then I would have do this, 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 and this. And then you get a little bit more leadership and authority, and then all of a sudden your thoughts about, well, I would do this or that or whatever, all of a sudden you're a little bit more humble about your opinions, because it's not quite as simple as it looks. It's easy for us even, and with our own government to look and say, well, if I was in charge, I would do this and this and this. And I'm not saying we can't call government leaders to account. We absolutely can. But also recognize it's a complicated world that we live in. Solomon understood that. And so Solomon gets this unique opportunity. The Lord comes to him directly to Solomon. And this is almost like a genie in a bottle type of moment. And says, Solomon, what can I do for you? What would you like? So if you're there in 1 Kings 3, I'll just read a few of these verses. 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 5. It says that Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. What should I give you? Solomon, blank check. What'll it be, buddy? Now, just imagine for a moment that you're put in that position. The Lord comes to you and says, whatever you want, can I, I can do it for you. Now, I know many of us would probably know this story and we would have that in the back of our minds and we would probably come around to the wise decision. But where would your mind float to for a moment there? Like, you know, Bezos' yacht's really cool looking. Like, <laughs> wouldn't mind one of those sitting on the Indian Ocean somewhere. That's pretty awesome. You could come up with all sorts of things. He doesn't say that, though. Verse 9, jumping down. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern your great people? I love the humility that Solomon at least starts out with. We know that he has an epic fall. But the humility that he starts with, I'm watching this people, the people are great, the needs are great, it's complicated, I have international relations to keep up with. We have infighting. We have economy to manage, right and wrong to adjudicate. I need wisdom. I love this as well. It says to discern between good and evil. It's Eden-like language. 
But now we're arbiters of good and evil, now that Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit. And so now we are in this business of judging good and evil. That wasn't the original plan. And so he's in the middle of this, and he needs wisdom to do it. God gives him this, verse 12. Verse 12 says, Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. And then in verse 13, he tells him, and because you didn't ask for riches, I'm going to give those to you as well. It's an incredible scene. So we fast forward a little bit in Solomon's story, and let's see the outcome of this. So Solomon has been enthroned for some time now. Jump over to 1 Kings chapter 4, and this is just a, just a snapshot of what's going on with Solomon. Chapter 4, verse 29. It says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the peoples of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Jump to verse 32. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He also spoke of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all the nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. And then there's the story about the queen of Sheba that comes to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon's the Renaissance man before the Renaissance. He, he's speaking to all of these different issues and I just want to point out in verse 33 that wise people know their fish as well. In verse 33, he spoke of the fish. What's interesting to me and what I really wanted to show you and the reason we're going through some of this is I'll, I'll bring this up again and again, but wisdom is more than I just know my Bible. Wisdom is I'm in touch with life. I understand how it works. There's a certain grain to the way the world has been made and Solomon was dialed into that. He was given this wisdom by the Lord and that's really what the word is speaking to. All right, with that, some people have asked the question. We know that Solomon ended up marrying many, many foreign women. We know that his heart was pulled away from the Lord and we know that the kingdom is gonna ultimately split because of him. It wasn't during his time, but because of him, and his rebellion against the Lord. And some people have asked the question, well, why should we listen to him? It's like, well, just because he didn't always act right doesn't mean he didn't know what was right. And he wrote these Proverbs, 3,000 of them. We don't have 3,000 Proverbs here. He wrote these Proverbs under the guidance and direction of the Lord. So I think it's incredibly worthwhile. He's the wisest man that ever lived. Solomon didn't write all of the Proverbs, but I do think many, many came from his pen. All right, so back to Proverbs chapter one. Proverbs chapter one, four points that I'll give you as we walk through this this morning, wisdom to live well, knowing, acting, growing, and grounding wisdom. We've talked about Solomon being the author, at least of a, of a big, big portion of these Proverbs, and then he says this, verse two, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. Two nouns, two verbs. Wisdom, instruction, know, and understand. Remind you of my working definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the art of living well, good, and godly. Let me flesh that out a little bit for us. 
I want to show you some other places where this word wisdom is used. Exodus 31 and verse 6. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. This is in the context of the tabernacle. Skilled people, are, they have wisdom, same word. They have wisdom in order to make the things that I have, that I have given them. This is the practical side. Remember the three parts of this? Practical, ethical, theological, or relationship to God. So the practical side, this word wisdom is often used in this way. Ezekiel 27 and verse 8. The inhabitants of Sidon and Arvad were your rowers. Like, there's nothing super spiritual about this. It means they rowed a boat, all right? They're just rowing. Your skilled men, wise men, Tyre, were in you. They were your pilots. So they understood and they could steer ships. Kind of interesting. It doesn't say whether they loved the Lord. It just says they were really good at steering ships. So they were wise in that sense. So you're seeing the different pieces of the word wisdom. It's skill in practical things, skill in discerning right and wrong, and then also skill in understanding our theology, understanding God. And then, do you know some animals are called wise in Proverbs? Kind of interesting. Broadens out the word a little bit for us. These four guys, Proverbs 30, 24 through 28, Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are people not strong, yet they provide their food in summer. Do you know ants are mentioned a few times in Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 6, go to the ant, O sluggard. I can't tell you how many times we used that when the kids were younger. And I mean, it's built in, parents. Like, just walk outside. You'll find them. If they're not in your yard, go to the neighbor's yard. You probably ran them off over there somehow. They're everywhere. Like, hey, look. And can't you picture the kids when Solomon leaned down with his kid and said, hey, got a little lesson from the ants. Dad, really, the ants. We're going to talk about the ants again. But he does. He does a few times. Uh, Proverbs 6 and then here again in 30. The ants are not a people strong, yet they provide their food in summer. They're, they're smart enough to know that they need to store up. Now, again, talking about our definition of wisdom, this is practical wisdom. It doesn't say that they love the Lord. It doesn't even say that they were doing anything virtuous. They just have the wisdom. God's, God's put this in them to be able to operate this way. Next, it says the rock badgers. It's the rock badger. I had to look up a picture of a rock badger. I don't, I don't know what those are, really. The rock badgers are people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. They're smart enough to know to get out of the way where predators can't get them. The locust. That locust looks like he's up to something. <laughs> the locust have no king, yet all of them march in rank. He's just observing the world. They're exceedingly wise. They have no king, and yet they all march in rank. I'm fascinated by flocks. You'll see the birds sometimes, and you'll see the birds all flying in formation, the blackbirds when they come over, and you clap or make a loud sound, and they all kind of go, Phew. and I'm always thinking, who told them to do that? How do they stay in perfect sync? And so the author of Proverbs is watching this, going, it's by wisdom. There's something in them. They understand the grain and nature of the world. And then this lizard. This is actually Pastor David's favorite 
He loves lizards. If you ever bring him a lizard, he'll be really, really thrilled. Like if you, if you ever catch one on the back porch of the office and you just throw it in his office, he loves that. <laughs> so I've, ask me how I know later. <laughs> Look at this lizard. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. This lizard's got a pretty good life. You can't live in the king's palace, and yet there's the lizard. Just living the best life in the king's palace, eating the little bugs that are attracted to the king's best food. Like, look at that guy. He's got life figured out. Proverbs is very humbling in this way because it takes these really simple, really simple objects, animals, and says, look, you can learn something from these guys. That's wisdom. It's such a full-orbed idea of life in the world that God has made. Let's talk about the ethical component of wisdom for a moment. So remember our definition is, uh, has to do with these three parts. The second part here is the ethical component. It's not just practical, it's also ethical. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. It's ethical, it deals with the heart. It's not simply how much money can I make, it's also how does this affect other people when we make this particular decision. Wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 3, 7, another one, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So to be wise in your own eyes, to be your own counselor is to reject wisdom. And it's unethical, it's wrong. And then lastly, this last category of wisdom is the theological or the God-oriented. The fear of the Lord, that's Yahweh, God, is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So our responsibility now, coming back to Proverbs 1, is to know wisdom in all its many multifaceted formats. Wisdom's often connected to instruction or discipline and to understand words of insight, to be people who are learning and figuring out the grain of life, how it works, and how we can act as God's representatives here on this earth. Wisdom to live well. So knowing. Now we move into acting. You don't just learn things so that you can learn things. You learn things so that you can do things. Verse three. To receive instruction in wise dealing. And then notice this. In righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Instruction in wise dealings, righteousness, justice, and equity. The reason you learn and gather wisdom is so that you can make good and wise decisions. And these wise dealings have to do with these next three, righteousness, justice, and equity. So we move from knowing to actually acting. And a very, very simple definition, it's not not exactly, probably uh, precise for our purposes, but it, it does help us to understand the point. Knowledge is knowing, wisdom is knowing what to do with that information. And that really is at least partially true. The best illustration of that is you can know that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom would say, don't put it in a fruit salad, all right? Wisdom, knowledge. You can know things, but that doesn't mean that you're gonna actually act on that. Or you can know that onions are food. Wisdom is knowing we weren't really supposed to eat those things. That's, 
another part of wisdom. We'll get there. It's in Proverbs. Somewhere I'll find it. (laughs) Knowing and then acting. The idea of wise dealings, it means to sign a reasonable contract, to be aware, to go into a deal with your eyes open. Then he gives us these three categories. Righteousness, justice, and equity. One of my big laments over the last, I'll say, 10 to 15 years in the larger Christian world is really the loss and the misuse of these terms, justice, equity, and how some of these terms have been weaponized for political gain. The terms justice, equity, if our immediate knee-jerk is, I don't like those words, those words make me uncomfortable, I'm afraid we're a little bit more informed by the news cycle than we are by the Bible. Because the Bible actually says that those who love wisdom and those who grab onto insight will use those, will leverage that in wise dealings regarding righteousness, which has to do with a moral standard, justice, which has to do about a violation of that moral standard and a restorative idea to it, and equity has to do with a fittingness of how are you going to correct these wrongs that have been done. I think we need to take a long, hard look at this. Righteousness, justice, and equity. This idea of equity, it's really the fittingness. And I'll say this term a lot as we go through Proverbs. There's a fittingness, an appropriateness to Proverbs and how you wield those, how you handle them. Wisdom to lead well, to live well. Wisdom isn't wisdom if it doesn't lead to actually acting. That's how wisdom works. Let's talk about this next one the idea of growing. So it says here in verse four, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. And then it says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Prudence to the simple, wisdom to the simple, and to the youth. There's three people that we'll get introduced to in the book of Proverbs. Really, uh, really for uh, the scoffer a little bit later on, but three big categories here. There's three people. There's the naive, which is the, often called the young one, the wise, and there's the fool. And so the way this works and the way it's sort of pictured in the book of Proverbs is the naive, the simple, or the young is going to head one of two paths, either the path of wisdom or the path of folly. Now, I wanted to illustrate this for you just to make sure that it's abundantly clear what we're saying. You see the simple person, and I want you to notice the detail here. He's kind of expressionless, neither positive nor negative. That's the flat line, that is his mouth. The fool is very sad because he's made foolish choices. He's had bad influences, and he has bad friends around him that are corrupting him. The wise, on the other hand, they're happy because they've made good choices. They've chosen well the influences on them And they have good friends that point them to a better way, to the way of wisdom. This is the idea behind wisdom and these three people, the naive or the simple, the fool and the wise. The young ones are often viewed as naive, although it's not exclusively to the young. You can be very new in your faith and not be very new to life. It's quite possible. And then it continues on, and we see that you're never too young or too old to start living wisely. It's a renewal that we can all make even today. 
But if you start young, it's going to save you a lot of heartache. That's just generally true. It says, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. And then verse five, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. So here's what tends to happen. The wise tend to become wiser. We often say that the rich get what? Richer. It's true in wisdom as well. Wise people love wisdom and they keep on gaining wisdom. The fool, on the other hand, loves his folly and he becomes more and more and more foolish. We need to be continually growing, continually moving forward. These are the ones, verse five, they obtain guidance. The term is actually used of steering a vessel. Another time that we've talked about ships. And it would uh, refer to the ropes that you would pull in order to steer a vessel. We actually get our metaphor for learning the ropes. You ever wonder about that? I, I can overthink some of these things sometimes. And I grew up in a home that was just full of colloquialisms and these little proverbial uh, southern colloquial statements. And I always just kind of stopped and examined them, and a lot of them didn't make sense to me. So learn the ropes. Hey, come on in. I'll, I'll teach you the ropes. I'm like, why do, we, why do we have ropes? This doesn't make any sense to me. Many of you probably think that way as well. But that's actually what is being talked about here. Guidance. They're guiding ropes that would adjust the, the, uh, the rudder and then also the sails on ships. The wise know the ropes. They know how to live. They know how to navigate. The pilots, as we saw a little bit earlier. So knowing, acting, growing. We never reach a point where we say, you know what, I have enough. I know enough of the Bible. I have enough wisdom. I'm good. Check that box. Pass the test. Move on. We're always, always growing more and more in wisdom. So as I mentioned, the book, I think, is specifically geared towards the younger, the naive, the simple. It wants to cut them off before they make foolish choices, but it also has plenty to say to those who want to grow in wisdom and are pursuing wisdom and have been for years and years. Verse six, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, they grow in their understanding. That leads to the last point, the grounding of ultimate wisdom. Where do we find the ultimate wisdom that we're talking about. Remember the three parts of wisdom that we've been mentioning. The first is very practical, learning how to do things. The second has to deal with virtue. What kind of person are you, choosing right and wrong? And then the third has to do with what we say about God. And the book opens up with that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Our worldview and our understanding of wisdom begins and really ends with God. God made a world, and we're living in it. Begins and ends with God. I have opportunity to teach some worldview classes for high schoolers, and we talk about this a lot. The reason subjects make sense is because God created an orderly world. The reason math works is because God made it that way. The reason science is science is because God created a place that has laws that we can discover and understand. Our whole worldview as Christians begins with God, the fear of the Lord. Notice it also says the fear of the Lord, respect, reverence for the Lord. This word may throw some people off. I have one of my favorite illustrations of this in the Old Testament is this. 
So Exodus 20, context, they've just received the Ten Commandments. The booming voice on Mount Sinai, the mountain smoking, flames of fire, dark cloud, incredible scene, booming voice. The people are scared to death. They say, Moses, you go talk to God. We're going over here. We don't want to interact with him. He's scaring us a lot. And so Moses says this, don't fear, do not fear, for God has come to test you. That the what? Fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Don't be afraid of God, but you need to fear God. Wait a minute. Don't be afraid of God, but fear God. We have the same concept in our vocabulary, don't we? We say something like, he has a healthy fear. It's a, it's a good thing. A healthy fear of maybe driving a car or whatever it is that you do. You have a healthy fear, a respect or you have a healthy fear for a boss or someone like that, it can be good. And specifically here, you don't fear God because you should, you're not afraid of God, but you should fear and reverence him so that you may not sin. You need to understand that our God's the one who can light up a mountain and speak out of the sky. You need to understand that. You don't have to be afraid of him because he's drawing you into covenant with him, but you need to understand who he is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, the very beginning of knowledge. But many people don't think that way. We all know that. Maybe even some in here this morning. You don't think that way. It's not really God-centered. It's not all about him. And we wanna find our own wisdom in other places. I think C.S. Lewis had one of the best quotes about this. He says, when you argue against him, argue against God you are arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. It's like you're cutting off the branch you're sitting on. You're borrowing God's worldview in order to argue with God. You can't do it. It's circular. It'll defeat itself eventually. But here we are, many who tirelessly try to act wise, process the world, and they become the very opposite. They become fools because they have bad influences Remember, remember our profound drawing that we had just a moment ago. You have bad influences, bad worldview, bad friends around you. It's gonna push you down the path of foolishness, even though all the way they may be erasing the label and saying, this is the path of wisdom. It's really not if God's not in view. It's not. They tried that. We, we tried that for years and years. Romans 1 so actually, if you're part of one of our small groups, this would be a great topic for conversation. If you're a part of one of those groups, we take some time and talk about the sermon. Romans 1, verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became what? Fools. They thought they were on this path of wisdom, but no, in reality, they were on the path of folly. Why? Because they did not see fit to honor God. That's not true wisdom. You may have various reactions to a text like this this morning. Proverbs is gonna give us a lot of opportunities to sort of run a self-diagnostic and to look at ourselves. So just a few questions as we think through this. What influences you the most? I want you to actually think about that question. In a given day, what has the single greatest influence on the way that you think? That is a very telling question if you're honest and think it through. 
What is most shaping your worldview? Those are probably very related answers. What do you think about the most often? What drives you? Are we committed in, to live wisely in every area, a fully developed understanding to do what's wise? You don't have to stay in folly. Every day is an opportunity to make better decisions, to recognize the Lord, and to recognize what he's done for us. Of course, the ultimate man of wisdom was Jesus Christ. He came and he lived a perfect life, and yet he died a sinner's death. It's often viewed as folly to the world. Paul talks about that. It's viewed as folly, but in fact, it was the wisdom of God to bring forth Christ at the right time to die for us. And now we, as his kingdom emissaries on earth, are responsible to go out and live in this way, wise in the world. Jesus himself even said that you should be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. You're aware of what's going on in the world, but you're not out to get anybody. You're not out for your own gain. This is what Christ has done for us. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for wisdom. And we're grateful for a text like this this morning that maybe it's a little bit different than some of the other Bible texts that we look at, but it's one that reminds us that you are sovereign over all things and you've created such a big world for us to live in and such a big place for us to come to understand better and better. And Lord, we want to offer a prayer just like Solomon did that for whatever it is, whatever our vocations, whatever our task that you have for us, we need your wisdom. We need your wisdom to carry those out and to do it well, to live wisely each and every day, both practically and then in terms of our virtue, the character that you're forming in us, and then with a very real awareness of God in everything that we do. Lord, maybe there's some in here that these concepts don't really connect with them. Maybe they don't know what it means to walk in relationship with Christ. We pray that you would use your word Show them their need for you this morning. Show them their need for something else. There's something else out there that they're looking for. And we pray that they would find it today in Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.